0: Welcome everyone, I'm Alison Banbury, and you're listening to The Midlife Muse. It's Episode 9, y'all, and I have a treat for you tonight. I've asked my husband and partner, Ben, to join me again, so I want to welcome him back to the podcast. Welcome, honey.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Always a pleasure. So, a couple of weeks ago, at the start of Episode 7, I made a little joke about number seven being a lucky number and then I said that I don't believe in luck and that we human beings make our own luck. The episode wasn't about luck at all. This was just like a little throwaway comment that I made during my introductory remarks. But a few nights later, you questioned me about that particular statement. Can you say a bit to our viewers about what prompted you to bring up that particular remark?
1: Well, um, I mean, sometimes I just really like being contrary and do you arguing with you <laughs> to see what happens. Um, but in this particular case, I thought it was worth sort of talking to you about because um, the idea that we make our own luck um, in life, while I think it's sort of useful to individuals to believe that you know we have the ability to um, make positive changes in our lives and these sorts of things that, for the most part, I don't believe that people make their own luck so much as they're subjected to the forces of entropy in their birth and environment and genetics and, and all those sorts of things. So I wanted to challenge you about it um, <laughs> at the end of a long day. <laughs>
0: It was the end of a long day. We were we were getting ready to turn out the light and he he hit me with this question, but you were absolutely right to do it, Ben, because you know, I remember pausing when you asked me that and and thinking maybe you had just misunderstood me, but I remembered that is exactly what I said and it's not what I believe at all. I certainly don't believe in superstition. Um, you know, I don't believe that if you wear your socks inside out the day that your team plays the big game that that's going to affect the outcome of the game. I don't believe that number seven is a lucky number. I don't believe that number 13 is an unlucky number. I just, I don't believe in those things, so that part of the statement was true. I don't believe in that kind of luck or superstition. But that other part that I said about we make our own luck, I don't think that at all. I, both of us, have talked at length about how such a tremendous amount of, of how our lives turn out have to do with the accident of our birth, the circumstances surrounding our birth. Like, into what country were we born? Were we a planned pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy? are we born um, with all of our abilities are you know what kind of socioeconomic family are we born into what's our ethnicity so can you think of other examples? No no okay <laughs> okay so the I mean the the honest truth is that we both believe really strongly in systemic inequalities that start with this absolute, Luck of birth. A fetus has no um, drive or goals that they're setting. They're just, you know, born into whatever circumstances they're born into. And yet, you and I on this very podcast a month or so ago spoke about motivation and goal setting and planning. And as parents, we try to teach our children to make certain choices and to work hard and practice a growth mindset and all of those those things and so what i want to talk about tonight and it's surely a bigger topic than we can cover in a single podcast so we're just going to maybe try to take a small bite out of this i want to talk about this intersection of luck the accident of our birth circumstances beyond our control and the notion of choice and free will and effort, all of these qualities upon which the narrative of our very nation is built. This idea that if we work hard enough and try hard, that that good things will come. So digging into this, I just want to start with this question. After we account for the accident of our birth, these circumstances beyond our control, can we make our own luck after that You know, what possibility is there to affect change from that point forward?
1: Um, I guess what I would say to that is that we have to start with a, a recognition that we all have We're all starting at a different neurological baseline you know, I think that everybody can affect positive change in their life but that being said the sort of work that needs to go into or the the work is the wrong word the measures that need to be taken to allow you to affect positive change in your life are not going to be the same from person to person and you know when, when we talk about sort of the accident of birth and we talk about You know, the family that you're born into, you know, there, there's so, there's so much that goes into the development of a person and then the resulting behaviors that come out of it that it's, it's, it's very hard to unravel, you know, what the basis of particular behaviors or motivations are. Even after you're born, there are genes that uh, either get expressed or get silenced based on your early childhood environment, for instance. There's neurological pathways that get shut down or reinforced based on the kind of nurturing that you have, based on the nutrition that you have.
0: So I'm just going to pause you for a minute because both of us, we each have two children and they're, you know, each pair, they're very different kids. And some folks would say, and I have wondered, you know, when you have two siblings who've been raised in relatively similar circumstances you know they're in the same household same socioeconomic status same parents you know maybe they're separated by two three four years in age but they're very different maybe in terms of how they approach school or work or life or relationships and how do we when you say neurological differences and different pathways getting reinforced like how does that play out within a single family?
1: Well, I mean, it plays out in an um, in, incalculable number of ways. I mean, as you mentioned, even with 50% of the same genetics, two siblings are going to have vastly different environments, even if they're in the same home. They have different nutrition. They have different prenatal environments. Um, all these things mean they just end up being different people.
0: So as you're saying that, what I'm noticing coming up for me is the the instinct, maybe the, you know, all the messages that surround parenting. And this idea, I, I'm remembering a story where one of my children who had just learned about the fight or flight response in school in his wellness class. And then he got into a fight on the playground and I encountered him at the school. I worked there and he found me in the hallway and his defense about getting in this fight was that this student had said something to him and he said, you know, my amygdala kicked in and I just couldn't, you know, think straight. And, and it was scientifically a, a sound argument, but I also really strongly want my children to have a sense of responsibility and for managing those kinds of emotions. So as you're talking about different neurological pathways, I can see, I just hear a kid being like, but my neurological pathways aren't the same as Big Brother's neurological pathways, and I don't know that it's right, or wrong, <laughs> that I have this feeling that um, I should be able to sort of impose my will on these children, but I know that as a nation and as a culture, we very much act that way, that that we should be able to impose our will on our children or make them behave the way we want them to behave.
1: Well, um, I mean, I guess my, my question would be, has... 16 years of imposing your will nope. cause <laughs> caused this not person working. to be a different person <laughs> than, than they are. Um, you know, I think that when there's a behavior that we interpret as a negative behavior, mm-hmm. one of the most important things to people is to figure out who's at fault. Yes. Who is responsible for this bullshit. <laughs> um, and...
0: That's a, we'll tell that story in a minute. Go ahead.
1: Um, and it, you know it's important that somebody be in the wrong and that somebody have bad behavior and somebody have good behavior. In terms of that particular story, you know, kids—the last thing to develop in people is their frontal cortex, which is impulse control and doing the harder thing and delayed mm-hmm. gratification and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably more responsible for. The lack of ability to control you know <laughs> yeah their their response but
0: can we go back for a minute to this idea of you know when when somebody acts outside of how we think they should act we, we are looking for someone to blame and I, I think that as a society we feel that's important because the flip side is that we also want to be able to point to ourselves when something goes right. When we quote unquote succeed, when we achieve, we want to be able to say, that's because of these things that I did. And that's you know sometimes you know when I made that statement we make our own luck that's the that's the implication of a statement like that like if we work hard enough and we you know do these things we're gonna achieve and I the more I've tried to wrap my head around this the more I just feel like you know I don't know if either of those those conclusions are valid that you know we're that we're affecting either direction that we're affecting our own success or we're affecting our quote unquote failures. I just wanted to go back to that for a minute.
1: Full disclosure. I, I don't believe for the most part, I think that people who are quote unquote successful and studies have shown that people who are successful by our standards give themselves a disproportionate amount of the credit for that, then if we can recognize that people neurologically are different on a broad spectrum of human experience, which in turn generates behavior. I mean, I think that if we can have empathy on one end, one of the things that prevents us rather from having empathy on one end for saying this person mm-hmm. has had so few chances in life, mm-hmm. and I have empathy for that I think what we're afraid of is losing our own sense of accomplishment. Yes because you know
0: Because if it's not their fault that they failed, how can it be our
1: fault that we're successful? Yes um, And you know, I, I I wrote a piece a few years ago Um. About a kid that I saw going to the bus stop in Baltimore. I was just really struck by this image and it stayed with me for a long time. It was a little boy who was in fourth, maybe fourth grade or fifth grade who was going to the bus stop. He didn't have a parent with him. And, you know, he's coming out of a row home in Baltimore that is on a street where every other, uh, every other property is abandoned and boarded up. Yeah. Um, and it's right in the shadow of. These buildings, you know, $100 million buildings that people are rushing in and out of all all day long, Um, I just felt in that moment like I was just standing right on this chasm of opportunity and just knowing the statistics. I mean, we know the statistics for people that come from extremely low-income areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he goes to a school where 98% of the kids... Are on free lunch and are malnourished during the summer when they're not going to school. And we know that. And they go to schools that are ranked Mm -hmm. to be incredibly poor institutes of education. You know, somehow this kid who, when he's in fourth grade, everyone in society can look at and say, this kid is a victim of his circumstances. It's not his fault mm-hmm. that he doesn't know things. Yeah,
0: what is a nine-year-old, what control does he have over that situation?
1: At some point, he he crosses some arbitrary threshold.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Either he just gets to be a big kid, a big 14-year-old, or maybe he crosses some arbitrary number. He's becomes 16 or he becomes 18, and people shift in how they perceive him, and he goes from being... A child who clearly had no control of his circumstances to being a kid who should have known better a mm-hmm. kid who at some point should have made the decision to do the right thing mm-hmm. and we can take you know if we could take his brain and look at it you would see real physiological differences between his brain and somebody else's brain who hasn't grown up in that environment from prenatal through you know early childhood development to the moment that you're looking at it right now hmm and You know, I think that You know one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about that statement about making our own luck is because I think the way we think about that has huge implications for how we evaluate the world and our society and you know the the empathy really that we have for other people, um, but you know at the same time, I don't think that in saying all that, that the podcast that we did on motivation is not useful or that it doesn't ring true. Yeah. In, in- so
0: how is it? How is it useful? Because. I believe in everything that we're talking about right now, and I really got a lot out of your thoughts on goal-setting So I'm trying to reconcile how you know, just what perseverance and Accomplishment like what those words even mean in this context.
1: I actually think it ties in really well uh, because the fact that you are the person that you are Is exactly the reason why it doesn't work for people to just say a goal and not make the framework ahead of time to make that goal a reality. So when somebody says, you know, I want to exercise more and it's not concrete, you know, because they're the same person they've always been, ultimately that goal almost never comes into into being. You know, I want to exercise more. I want to lose weight. I want to go run a marathon, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Because there's no concrete framework that's giving – you're not giving yourself new inputs, you know, new inputs to your brain. Whereas when you say, for instance, take in the Midlife Muse, very motivational (laughs) podcast about – Life, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you, you know, they've talked about how it changes how writing things down changes the way your brain remembers them, changes the way your brain processes them. So that's why when we talked about motivation, rather than just saying, I'm making a goal, the mm-hmm. suggestion was to take, make a framework and write, you know, physically write it down and then start reinforcing it by following through on that and those things start to make changes. Okay. To...
0: They do. Okay. So I just ha- I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew this is more than we could than we could do in one podcast. So here's my question. Okay. So we're a culture that a judeo-christian based culture judgment is woven into our very fabric. When do I get to judge myself? When do I get to judge other people who aren't, for example, listening to podcasts, working to improve themselves, writing things down, making plans? Like when, where does judgment fit into this? Because I'm having a really hard time letting go of it. And I imagine some of my listeners are too, even though we all want to be empathetic people.
1: When is judgment useful to you? I mean, is it useful to you to compare yourself to other people?
0: Sometimes I imagine that it is, but it's like a sad, sick motivator (laughs) for, for change. And it definitely isn't helpful. I don't think it's hard to let go of it to judge other people, right? Do I practice empathy for Donald Trump because he's only who he could ever turn out to be given his upbringing
1: Well does, I don't want
0: to have empathy
1: does for him does getting enraged and turning on your stress response and doing all that stuff in the comfort of your home and making yourself been out of shape on an evening that you didn't need to be bent out of shape? Is that useful to you as a person?
0: No. And
1: does that change no. Donald Trump? No. I mean. No.
0: But theoretically. No. <laughs> He's making a face at me. Theoretically, means, what? Nothing. <laughs> I just. Go ahead.
1: I think that being hard on yourself and comparing yourself to other people maybe be a good motivator in the short term, mm-hmm. but it's consistently, I think, a very poor motivator in the long term to have sort of a negative self-image, somebody who you rarely hear people who have achieved, for instance, some championship, get up there and talk to the interviewer, say, you know, how'd you prepare for this? Well, you know, I just, I think I'm a huge piece of shit, and I just, <laughs> I thought that... <laughs> you know, I'd probably fail and it's a huge surprise that I came out here and won this considering everybody's better than me. People don't, people, right. pe- people, that's not a helpful Mm-mm. long-term mindset to have for your goals, you know, and, and what people will say, the, the pushback that I will often have when I talk about this that's particularly hard to let go of is, well people have to be responsible for their actions because look at all the people that do terrible things that we have to hold accountable. And that is true to a certain extent, right?
0: We can't do a whole crime and punishment thing here, but I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, That's another podcast. That's another
1: podcast. Yeah. But for all the rage Mm -hmm. you may feel that comes from judging other people and, calling them bad people, the outrage that I think we only feel more of as we get on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, journalism, I don't think used to start from a place of what will people be the most upset about. Right. And now it does. But we know for, for certain that it has health implications to us to be outraged all the time. And what does it do to affect our world? How does it make our lives better?
0: And really, I was thinking about this in the car as I was planning, trying to wrap my head around this subject. What I really truly believe is that everyone wants success, whatever that means to them. It doesn't mean the same thing to everyone and peace. And they want to, you know, move through this world with ease. That's where everyone starts from. Like you were saying, that fourth grader, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, they want good things for themselves. And so if at some point in their lives as teenagers, as young adults, as grown people, if they're not moving in that direction, I think a better use of energy than rage and judgment is curiosity and asking You know, what happened to that natural, I think, basic impulse for peace and success is the only word I can think of. And so it it, it still feels hard because I, to let go of judgment and striving and punishment.
1: I think about smiting my enemies all the time.
0: I know you do I know you do um, so it's hard to let go of but 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 the truth is is what you called me out on you know the other night and that's that you know each human has such a complicated complex set of circumstances and how can we possibly judge that or Imagine that they quote unquote should be doing something different than what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, we still have to, and I, I understand that this is a different podcast and social issues and how they tie into like the neurological basis for human behavior. I could talk about mm-hmm. for hours and hours. You know, we we still have a a society that we've we've made rules that people have to. That we've decided that people need to stay inside these parameters mm-hmm. in order for our society to function and it's not that Because it's it's not that because we take into account people's circumstances that we have to abandon those things or say True. that all behavior is appropriate But what I would love to see what I wish we did as a society is that rather than saying this person is evil mm-hmm. this person is bad that we could we could correct we could help them correct the things that are hard for them as people mm-hmm. without having to you know condemn them mm-hmm. in the process you know well if, honey,
0: they're in correctional facilities yeah, don't you think a lot of really there's a lot of healthy correction of is happening there.
1: Well, I do. And in fact, since we have more people in correctional facilities than any other democratic nation on earth, I think we're probably right on the brink of having <laughs> the most correct people in the whole world since we do so much
0: ultimate so much
1: correction in yes. correction, cor- correctional facilities that I think any day now, we're going to have a whole force of the most correct people <laughs> to fill our It's uh, not really funny. Fill it's our tragic. With. No, we have to talk about this a whole nother time.
0: We do. We do. Okay. I think we've probably scrambled some brains, mine included. Your, your,
1: your eyes are crossing a little
0: they bit. Are, yeah. They are. They <laughs> are. And I'm going to have to think more about why this is so hard for me to wrap my head around and um, We probably need to go ahead and wrap this up for tonight. So I'm just going to, I can't even make sense of it. So I'm going to ask Ben, do you have any closing thoughts? Can you tie this all up in a neat little bow for our listeners?
1: Probably not. Um,
0: (laughs) Come on. Human
1: human behavior is (laughs) unfortunately a very messy thing. We always, I think it's nice to want to have easy explanations for why a complex thing happens um like any behavior is Mm -hmm. but my takeaway anytime i think about these sorts of things is that you know i need to strive and we're emotional creatures and i fail at this all the time but i try to strive to be more understanding of where people are coming from and not where are you coming from like what's your current where's your mind currently, what are you currently talking about, but in a really basic fundamental sense, where are people coming from, from, you know, what homes are they coming from, where were they born, what were their parents like, you know, it's it's so much to take into account, and I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and have some empathy for where all the things that I don't know, that go into interacting with people and that go into human behavior.
0: I love that takeaway, honey. You're a sweet person. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I think maybe just to add on to that this idea that if you find yourself judging if i find myself judging someone for not having quote unquote made enough of themselves or put in enough effort or tried hard enough or all those things that we that we really say we value in our culture just you know ask yourself some of these questions and contemplate how much you don't know about what a person is bringing to a situation in that Big sense that Ben was just talking about and also just on a given day I was thinking about you know just being at work and how I could be s- sitting next to a colleague and the two of us could put out the exact same amount of emails and see the exact same amount of students in a given day but how do you measure the effort that it took one of us to do that versus the other because there's no way of knowing what each of us is bringing in that day how we feel physically what's going on in our lives and just I think what Ben said greater empathy and um, and that's all I've got for today and I want to thank y'all so much for listening and thank you Ben for helping me to for challenging me about that statement which is not at all what I believe um, and for coming in here today and helping me try to make sense of it
1: Thanks for having me. I like talking on the computer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all have a good week. See you next time.